0: The sermon I will read this afternoon was written by Reverend Rodney Vermeulen of the Canadian Reformed Church of Glenbrook, Ontario. And Reverend Vermeulen has as text for this sermon the Word of God as summarized and confessed in Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 3. And you can find that starting on page 519 of your Book of Praise. Lord's Day 3, and I will read that. Did God then create man so wicked and perverse? No, on the contrary, God created man good and in his image, that is, in true righteousness and holiness, so that he might rightly know God his creator heartily love him, and live with him in eternal blessedness to praise and glorify him. From where then did man's depraved nature come? From the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. For there our nature became so corrupt that we are all conceived and born in sin. But are we so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined to all evil? Yes, unless we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. After the reading of the sermon, we will rise and sing in response Psalm 53, stanza five. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, in an earlier sermon, we were confronted with the holiness of our God on Mount Sinai. At one point, we said that confronted like that with the holiness of our God makes us realize our utter and complete unworthiness. His holiness, his perfection, only highlights all the more our complete and total depravity. The dazzling brightness of the one only serves to show up the blackness of the other. And while we love to hear about the holiness of our God, while we love to contemplate who he is and how gloriously perfect he is, we're not as keen to let that show up our sinfulness. It is as if we wish that God wasn't quite as holy as he is so that we don't look quite as bad as we are. But, brothers and sisters... Never will it do for us to shy away from the holiness and perfection of our God, and never will it do either for us to shy away from the sinfulness and depravity of ourselves. Remember that question and answer two of the Heidelberg Catechism said that in order to receive the comfort of belonging to this holy and perfect God, we need to know how great my sins and misery are. It seems counterintuitive but it's true all the same. There's comfort, great comfort, in being confronted with the reality of our sin and misery. Why? Because it only serves to highlight the holiness and glory of our God. I bring you God's word this afternoon, and we'll use this theme. The comfort that is ours in being confronted with the reality of our sin and misery we'll consider how we are comforted by accepting in faith the source of our sin and misery, and in the second place, the depths of our sin and misery. And first of all, the comfort that is ours in accepting by faith the source of our sin and misery. The previous Lord's Day, Lord's Day 2, ends on a very somber and dire note. I am inclined by nature to hate God and my neighbor. This is the verdict of scripture. We read it in Romans three. The question now here in Lord's day three is, how did that come to be that we are inclined by nature to hate God and neighbor alike? What's the source of our sin and misery? And in seeking to answer that question, we might be surprised when we hear the question, did God then create man so wicked and perverse Seems like a totally inappropriate question. The thought is ridiculous. Of course not. We know what the answer is. But here, the authors of the Catechism on the basis of God's word, wish to make sure we know the full truth about ourselves and our fall. To derive any comfort from this truth, we need to have it firmly and clearly planted in our minds and accepted by faith. See, God had created the human race in his own image. Adam and Eve shared characteristics with their Creator Father. The Catechism mentions two of them in Answer 6, true righteousness and holiness. In their pre-fall state, Adam and Eve would have been able to approach Mount Sinai and go up to be with God on the top of that mountain just like Moses did. They were truly righteous. They were holy too, just like their creator. No, that doesn't make them equal with God in their pre false state. But sin would not then, in their pre false state, have prevented them from being in God's presence. Created then in his image and living in perfection meant that Adam and Eve could fellowship with God directly. No mediator was necessary. That that fellowship with his creatures was God's intent is clear with what follows after the so that. God created man in true righteousness and holiness so that he might rightly know God, his creator, heartily love him and live with him in eternal blessedness to praise and glorify him. God created, created perfectly for that purpose, that he and his people might have that wonderful fellowship And when you think about that, you realize with absolute certainty that the answer to question six is the right answer. Did God make us wicked and perverse? No. God is holy and righteous and perfect and majestic, and never does he become less than he is. He is always holy and perfect, always righteous and good. So it is an absolute impossibility that he would be the source of our wickedness and perverseness. But then, what is the source of our depraved nature? Answer seven answers the question. From the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. The horrible reality is that things went bad in the very place where everything was good, in paradise. In the place that you would have least expected it, in the garden of God the place in which Adam and Eve lived in absolute joy, it was there that the fall occurred. It was there that we became so corrupt. And then, no, we don't stop there and say in some sort of general, non-incriminating way that the source of our sin and misery is paradise. No, we must keep drilling until we get to the real source of the rot. God had said to Adam and Eve, He had said it very clearly and specifically, do not eat. The devil comes along and says, really? What God hasn't told you, Eve, is that your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Eve ate, gave some of the fruit to Adam, which means we need to look to Adam and Eve for the source of our sin and misery. But even then, we still need to keep drilling Because notice, the Catechism doesn't try to soften the blow. It doesn't go on about how subtle the devil was, or how tempting the fruit looked to Eve, or how she might just have been having a bad day. No, as we keep drilling to the real source of the problem, we come to from the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve. Their disobedience, that's the source. It was their deliberate choice. Adam and Eve were not passive in the fall, victims of some unavoidable catastrophe. It's not like the fall is something that happened to happen to them. No, it happened because they made it happen. The source is them, their disobedient hearts. The Belgic Confession says it this way in Article 14. But then man was in this high position, When he was in this high position, he did not appreciate it, nor did he value his excellency. He gave ear to the words of the devil and willfully subjected himself to sin and consequently to death and the curse. The word choice of the confession is accurate. Willfully subjected himself. That's like the Israelites at the foot of Mount Sinai, saying that safety barrier, seeing that safety barrier, and knowing that if they cross that line, they will die, and then choosing to do so anyway. That would be willfully subjecting themselves to death. And that's what Adam and Eve did. The Catechism could have called it a whole range of things. Unbelief, rebellion, pride, covenant-breaking, unfaithfulness. But the Catechism calls what Adam and Eve did, what it is, disobedience. And here's where we arrive at the source of our sin and misery, the hearts of Adam and Eve, their choice to disobey. But have we really arrived at the source of our sin and misery? Because brothers and sisters, we're not done drilling yet. So far, we've been talking about something that happened a long time ago in a place called Paradise Were two people, now long passed away, two people called Adam and Eve, and what they did. Question seven asks, from where then did man's depraved nature come? The answer begins by talking about Adam and Eve, but then notice this, calls them our parents. And then it says, for there, in paradise, because of our parents, Adam and Eve, For there, our nature became so corrupt that we are all conceived and born in sin. It happened a long time ago, and yet it affects me? Yes. But actually, that's not the complete picture. For we know from Romans 5 that we sinned in Adam. We didn't just become sinners because of Adam. Drilling to the source of the problem goes deeper than that. Because all humans come from Adam, God imputes Adam's sin to us. His guilt is our guilt. Verse 12, Romans 5. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned, all sinned in Adam. Paul means, that's what Reformed Christians understand, Paul, to be saying here. That's confirmed by the very careful wording of the very first sentence of the very first article of the Canons of Dort. Since all men have sinned in Adam, it's difficult for us to wrap our minds around, but it's what scripture teaches. When Adam sinned, we sinned in him. It means that Adam and Eve's sin is counted by God as my sin. And here, we really do arrive at the source of our depraved nature. I am in the dock of the accused in the courtroom of heaven. I am in that dock with Adam and Eve and every other human being ever conceived, or yet to be conceived. We are not in the public gallery here, watching Adam and Eve's trial on the charge of disobedience. We're under the same charge, undergoing the same trial. Me, you, As guilty as they, so teaches the Holy Spirit in Romans 5 and other places. But then the burning question, brothers and sisters, where is there comfort in that truth? The catechism has said, and it echoes the Bible in saying it, this, that we need to know and confess this about ourselves in order to receive the comfort But how are we comforted by knowing the truth about the source of our sin and misery oh brothers and sisters we like to hold on to our perceived goodness and we don't want to take responsibility and share in the guilt of adam and eve but says jesus matthew 5 blessed are the poor in spirit blessed are you if you are willing to confess by faith that you are the problem that the source of the problem is not somewhere out there, but right here, in your heart, in my heart. For then, what glorious comfort is ours. Says Jesus, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this beatitude, verse 4, blessed are those who mourn. Are you prepared to mourn the loss of any self-goodness, Are you ready to confess your total depravity, your complete inability? Are you ready to mourn the fact that you are the source of the problem? Because then, what comfort? For they shall be comforted. Think about this. Accepting in faith the source of my sin and misery, this, that it is my heart that is so wicked and perverse that I too am guilty because of Adam's sin, accepting in faith that I am the problem, that I am totally incapable, that I am subject to the spiritual death that Romans 5 talks about, means, and really, brothers and sisters, this is so very comforting, means that I cannot look to myself to escape my sin and misery. That my heart is the source of my wickedness and perverseness means I must look somewhere else for salvation. Do you see how comforting, how liberating and freeing it is to acknowledge one's total depravity? It means that I need not, I cannot, and I should not and may not look for the solution to my problem in myself. For imagine that I had to do that. Then, given who I am, conceived and born in sin, all would be lost. I and my holy and righteous God would remain eternally separated and it would be all my fault and there would be nothing I could do about it. Accepting in faith the source of our sin and misery, our guilty hearts because of our share in Adam's sin is comforting because it forces me to look elsewhere for my salvation. And so the truth, the ugly truth about ourselves, drives us to our Savior. And when we go there and receive his forgiveness, then we praise God and he receives the glory. You know that this also means what it also means on a very practical level. Consider this. What is it like for you when you've done something wrong? You've sinned and you know it and those around you know it, or are about to find out, what do we tend to do? We minimize the sin. We try to shift the blame a bit. We explain our sin by sharing how the circumstances surrounding the sin made it impossible to stand firm. We twist and squirm and deflect and dodge. You know what I mean, right? We get mad at our kids when they do that. But as adults, we do it too. You know what the Holy Spirit says to us this afternoon? Stop it. Just stop it. Take full responsibility for your sin. The sooner you do that, the sooner you'll turn to your gracious Father in repentance and receive his gracious forgiveness. Romans 5. Yes, the one man's trespass brought death. But, verse 16 and 17. But the free gift following from many trespasses brought justification for it. Because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. We have to ask ourselves, Why do we, by dodging and blame-shifting, keep trying to hold on to some goodness within ourselves when admitting our sin means we receive the gift of life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Be honest about the fact that you are sinful and experience the comfort of forgiveness in Jesus Christ and that life we have in Jesus Christ. And the comfort it brings comes out all the more vividly when we also accept the depth of our sin and misery. Our second point. And that second point is the comfort that is ours in accepting by faith the depth of our sin and misery. So how bad is it really? Question eight asks that question. Is it that bad that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined to all evil? The answer is yes. That's what the Bible says. It's why we read part of Romans 3. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. Perhaps you know the passage well. What does it look like when this depraved nature has free reign in an individual? That's why we read 2 Kings 21, 1 to 9. It's the first part of the description of the life of the king Manasseh of Judah. His dad was the by and large faithful king, King Hezekiah, but not Manasseh. He gave free reign to his depraved will. Verse 3 and following, he rebuilt the high places that his dad had destroyed. Same verse, he erects altars to Baal and made an Asherah pole. He bows down to the sun, moon, and stars. In both both courts of God's temple, he builds altars to the starry hosts. He, he sacrifices his own son in the fire. Those of us blessed with children, try and imagine that. He placed his own son into a fire for the sake of some God He practiced sorcery and divination. He consulted mediums and spiritists. He took the carved Asherah pole he had made and put it in the temple of God. He did more evil, notes verse 9, than the nations had done, whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. He was worse than the people who occupied the land before the Israelites arrived. Manasseh, during this part of his life, lived life separately from God. He did not know God, was not interested in loving him. He did not live with him. He did not seek in any way to praise and glorify him. Manasseh's life describes what can happen with a depraved will, a corrupt nature. And there's a note here which says he did later repent, according to Chronicles. With that in mind, we need to notice something about question and answer seven. Listen, from where then did man's depraved nature come? From the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve in paradise, for there our nature became so corrupt that we are all conceived and born in sin. Our nature became so corrupt that we are all conceived and born in sin. That, in case you didn't notice, includes you and me. That's everyone who has ever lived since Adam and Eve. That means that I have something very much in common with King Manasseh. It means that the same corrupt nature he had inherited from his parents, I and you inherited from ours. That means if we follow this through, it means that you or I could be a King Manasseh doing the things that he did. You want to object? No way. There's no way I could be a person like that. There's no way I could do something as abhorrent as sacrificing my child on some altar to some God. But the Holy Spirit says in His Word yes, there is. And yes, you could. Brothers and sisters, That's how far we have fallen. That's the depth of our sin and misery. Said answer five in Lord's Day two, inclined to hate God and my neighbor. Inclined then to hate my children enough to sacrifice them to some God. Again, we want to ask with question eight, is it that bad? We check the answer to make sure we read it right, but it still says yes. It's enough to suck any hope out of us, totally unable to rightly know God, totally unable to heartily love him, totally unable to live with him, unable to love our neighbor, unable not to sin, conceived and born in sin, totally unable to do any good and inclined to all evil. Where's the comfort in this knowledge we need to know? And again, brothers and sisters, such knowledge, as bleak and horrible as it is, does something precious and glorious. It forces us from rock bottom, from death, to lift our eyes of faith up to Christ. It forces us to read past that devastating, but true yes of answer eight. Never stop at that yes, keep reading. Because if you can accept that yes by faith, then, then comes the comfort. Read beyond the yes and accept by faith this, unless unless we are registered by the Spirit of God. We struggle. We fight with sin. We know our inability, our depravity. We come to recognize what this depravity could do and does do in our lives. And that forces us in faith To plead with the Christ who covered the guilt of our sin with his sacrifice. Plead with him for the gift of his Holy Spirit, for the gift of his regenerating work. What comfort for the sinner. He turns away from himself in an effort to overcome sin. He turns to the Holy Spirit gifted to him by the Christ who has died to pay for his sins. And what then? Article 16 of chapter 3-4 of the Canons of Dort describes what changes. Our will is renewed. Listen to what that article says. So also this divine grace of regeneration does not act upon men as if they were blocks and stones and does not take away the will and its properties or violently coerce it, but makes the will spiritually alive, heals it, corrects it pleasantly, and at the same time, powerfully bends it. And what a difference that makes. That article goes on, as a result, where formerly the rebellion and resistance of the flesh fully dominated, now a prompt and sincere obedience of the spirit begins to reveal. That's the radical change that comes about because of a Holy Spirit renewed will. Oh, it's true. The struggle with sin in this life is real and remains so. Our sinful nature still raises its ugly head. My natural inclination is still towards the wrong. But at the same time, a change is happening a delightful change, a wonderful change. We are being recreated to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. What comfort! Because look where I end up by grace, when as a believer, I accept by faith the terrible depths of my sin and misery. I end up being honest with myself about sin, being honest with my gracious God about my sin. There's no dodging, no blame shifting, no cowering in the corner, and no conceitedness in the face of sin either. Rather, having been forgiven by the gracious work of Christ, I receive with deep gratitude the renewing work of the Spirit as I seek by the power of that Spirit to live for him to his glory and honour and praise. Amen.